Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Adam Collins, welcome to Sports ASA. Great to be back on, guys. Now, uh, first, before we get in talking about uh, the big game tomorrow night at the Adelaide Oval, let's get your thoughts on the T20 World Cup and and how you thought it all went, and and, uh, not so much the Australians' performance, but overall the tournament. Yeah, look, I think it's the most successful T20 World Cup that's ever been staged for for a host of reasons. First of all, uh, the competitive tension across from night one when Namibia beat Sri Lanka all those weeks ago down at Cadidia Park, um, Ireland beating England, the Netherlands knocking out South Africa. Um, It's been a closer World Cup than we've experienced in this format before, which I think reflects the fact that it's moving to a 20-team tournament in two years from now, and it's ready for that. So, yeah, sure, at the end of the day, you get the semi-finalists of Australia, or not Australia, actually, rather New Zealand, who have always been there in the final four in recent tournaments with Pakistan and, and India with England. Australia missing out, of course, in Group 1. So it's the, the big dogs get there eventually, but the route we took there, and also the fact that it rained weirdly helped that. And I'll explain why I mean that. It might sound like a strange comment. Um, had the Australia-England game not been rained off, uh, it would have meant that one of those two sides were eliminated inside the first week of the Super 12 stage. Because it was rained off, we had that tension all the way until the final day. So all's well that ends well on that front. And even though the attendances weren't huge for the Australia games, far from it, uh, my, my sense watching the, the tournament more broadly is that it was watched around the world and, and nights like uh, India against Pakistan at, at the MCG, for those who were there, wouldn't have to get it. Now, Colin, you, you, you spoke about a couple, like, a couple of sides with Namibia and Ireland. Um, knocking off some big country. You also saw West Indies actually miss making the Super 12 and, and Netherlands having a couple of good wins in there as well. So do you see not only Absolutely. just T20 cricket in a healthy state, but what about international cricket in general in test cricket and one-day form? Yeah, it, it's a really interesting question. I think that in some ways we're at the crossroads with nations who have been involved in the one-day World Cup Super League, which is unfortunately coming to an end at the end of this particular World Cup cycle. What it's meant is that Nations like the Netherlands and Zimbabwe and Ireland have played loads of bilateral cricket against countries that simply do not host them normally unless they have to. So take Zimbabwe. They played a series in India and a series in Australia this year. Would have they got those opportunities if not for the fact that there's that organising structure of the one-day Super League? Probably not. So it's been a good couple of years on that front. But when that goes at the end of this year, that'll, that'll, I'm afraid, set things back a wee bit. Uh, and also there, there's the difficult situation that Test Cricket finds itself in with uh, scheduling and there being more and more time allocated to T20 domestic competitions, not least the IPL. It's moving from, I think, 74 games to 84 games to 94 games over the next five years. And you know what that'll mean. And you see that alongside IPL franchises gobbling up sides in South Africa, in the UAE. That'll extend, I'm sure, to England with the 100 and maybe even Australia if private equity is allowed into the Big Bash and I'm sure that the first group of owners trying to get in on that will be from the IPL. And we've already heard of players who might be in a situation where their IPL franchise 
uh, contracts them for multiple years rather than their country. So it's going to take some getting used to, and hopefully there'll still be a way that Test cricket can thrive uh, in that in that framework. But it's going to take a little while to settle down, I think. So do you see just T20 dominating world cricket for the next five five years or so? Look, not in the very short term because the World Test Championship's there. And I mentioned the World Cup Super League for 50 over cricket a minute ago. That's still there for Test cricket and we should hold on tight to that because if we lose it, I'm worried about what will happen. But it's been guaranteed by the ICC for at least this cycle and the cycle after that in the Future Tours program, which came out uh, a couple of months ago. So for the next five or six years, we should be okay. What I'm a little bit worried about is what, what plays out after that when the ICC no longer have an organising structure around test cricket and around one-day cricket, and it goes back to the discretion of host boards. At that juncture, with the proliferation of T20 domestic cricket, those leagues I mentioned before, the added influence of uh, owners coming from the, from the IPL, which is obviously so powerful around the cricketing world, that might create an entirely new dynamic thereafter. So in the very short term, things will feel roughly the same. In five or six years' time, that they could feel an awful lot different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will move on to the the ODI form. The these three next games, England v Australia. How I guess coming off the back of the T Twenty tournament, how important do you see them being? Look, I I, I take the view of Bowen Ali, who's a world champion in the T Twenty format. I, I hear what he's saying about the frustration of this series, and I respect that. Look, at the end of the day, they're still playing for their country, but they just played in a World Cup final three days ago. And this is part of the problem with scheduling that I mentioned before, this congestion that's there around the 12-month cycle. There's no such thing as an off-season anymore. Cricket's a dreadful sport for finish lines, and that's in no, in no more focus than, than the last couple of days. So they had to move states, move formats, and go again. And that's been, like I guess it used to be, you played in a World Cup, it was like playing in a grand final in footy. You had some time to decompress, or you played in a, in a test series, and there was a bit of a break before the white ball stuff. Now... It's just a treadmill. So, look, these one-dayers are there for the right reason, that being the World Cup Super League uh, isn't part of this, but the World Cup itself is next October, and they're shifting attention from T20 cricket to 50-over cricket. Australia plays 17 one-dayers between now and the World Cup starting in, in India next October. But the problem they've got is it feels like these are just tacked on. It does feel a little bit like these didn't need to happen, and it does feel like we've just stepped out of a World Cup. So... Uh, there are some headwinds as well. Talking with cricket expert, SEN cricket expert, Adam Collins. Now, Colo, Travis Head, uh, bit, being a bit South, South Australian flavour here, <laughs> Travis is going to open the batting, <laughs> uh, taking over from the retired Aaron Finch. Uh, is, this, is this the right move for the Australian team to have, try Travis Head at the top? I'm actually really excited about this. I mean, remember where Travis Head uh, first got his opportunity in the one-day side? It went really well. The first 18 months or so, he became one of the most important players in that side. And that included a big century at Adelaide Oval in a huge partnership on Australia Day, going back to 2017, I think it was. And he played in the Champions Trophy, looked excellent there in 17. But by the 19 World Cup cycle, he found himself out of favour and out of the squad entirely. And he made an enormous amount of runs for the, for the, for the Redbacks in the years that have passed since, where he's been uh, top of the, the runs around the country in the 50-over format. He's really banged the door down. And if you're going to try and find a spot for Travis Head, why not put him up the top with David Warner and give them the chance over the next nine or ten months to consolidate that partnership ahead of the World Cup? It feels like an experienced player. He's shown he's got the ability to be a match winner for Australia. 
I mean, he was the player of the Ashes last year, wasn't he? With that Correct. extraordinary yeah. century at, at Brisbane and what turned out to be a pivotal 100 at Hobart as well under lights in tough conditions. So he has done it for Australia before as a test player. Um, he has done it for Australia before as a white ball player. And it feels like he's getting this opportunity with Aaron Finch retiring at the perfect time to make that opening position his own. So, yeah, sometimes the cards fall your way. And it feels like, what Travis said, they have done so here and he gets a great run of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there'll be a few heads uh, going out to Adelaide over tomorrow to, to watch him debut. One more on team selection. We heard about the uh, Glenn Maxwell freak, freak accident with his leg. Who, who do you think comes in for him? Yeah, look, I, I think... Look, they're, they're spoiled for choice when it comes to all-rounders in this squad. Marcus Stoinis would be first cab off the rank. They've got Cameron Green, who batted splendidly against New Zealand in their bilateral series. It was about three months ago. It feels like three years ago, up in the top end there. Uh, of course, so much T20 cricket that's fallen after that. It feels like a long time since they were playing in the 50-over stuff. And, and, of course, they also have Mitchell Marsh in the squad. Now, I know Glenn Maxwell is, is more than just an all-rounder because he offers so much flexibility to that, that batting lineup. But uh, if I were guessing, I think that Smith and Labashain will bat three and four, Stoinis five, and then you've got flexibility at six, whether it's Mitchell Marsh or Cameron Green, and then you move into Alex Carey batting at seven, uh, and then you, you, you're set and forget three quick. Dark and Hazelwood are all picked for this series, and Adam Zampa, the league spinner. So they're a pretty experienced, balanced side. You, you could argue that they're almost too stable. By that I mean this probably is the time of the cycle you want to try a couple of new things, and I suppose that that might be Travis Head up the top. But other than that, it's very, very similar to the one-day sides you've seen Australia field over the last three or four years now. Speaking of new things, Pat Cummins captains his uh, first ODI for Australia. Do you think much will change in the way they go about things? Will will we notice anything from Pat Cummins different to Aaron Finch? Maybe not to the naked eye, but we shouldn't underestimate what a big big effect it'll have changed for captains in that one-day side. Aaron Finch did it for a... A full four-year cycle. You don't see a captain often on the side for that long uh, in the volatile nature that is white ball cricket. But Finch was a mainstay uh, and his retirement is, is important. And we shouldn't sort of uh, pass over that like it's not a big deal because he knew how to get the best out of his players. He knew the rhythm of white ball cricket as far as captaincy is concerned, which is very different to captaining test cricket, which Cummins has done over the course of the last 11 months. So I'd expect there will be some teething pains or teething issues on the, on the way through. It's only natural. But in saying that, we thought it would be the same for Pat Cummins last year when he took over the test side and they hammered England. They would have won 5-0 if not for the rain in Sydney. So, um, and they won, of course, in Pakistan under Cummins as astute leadership too. And he's a, he's a bright guy. He's an experienced guy. So I'm sure it won't take him too long to, to get settled in the chair and you know, 17 matches in this format between now and the World Cup. He, he should be perfectly set by the time they reach India next October. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you spoke about the timing of these of these three games and I guess the importance of it. So I guess from you, what are you looking forward to seeing from the Aussies over the next three games? What, what's important to take out of this? I think it'll be about those guys who aren't the most the most uh, set and forget guys on the on the team sheet. So is Cameron Green going to be a three-format player for Australia? I mean, I, I think we all assume he's going to be, but here's his chance to, to get himself into not only this 11, but maybe into a World Cup squad. He's a player like Marcus Stoinis, who's blown a bit hot and cold in 50-over cricket across his five- or six-year journey in the side. Can he really make that position his own? And with Maxwell not there, how will he go as the kind of finisher coming in inside the last 15 overs? Of course, we know he can do it. The question is, can he do it consistently enough that he'll be... Uh, the obvious choice for India next year. We've already 
talked about Travis Head. I suppose the big three quicks to an extent, I mean, uh, we heard from George Bailey, the, the chief selector, a couple of weeks ago saying that they'll look to move on from, probably look to move on from Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark as white ball cricketers after the next 50 over World Cup. There was some reporting around that. Um, but in the short term, they really want those three to get them all the way to that World Cup, which makes sense to me. I mean, all of them have been World Cup winners uh, before. In Hazelwood and Stark's case, they both played in the 50 over World Cup victory all the way back in, in 2015. So they're, they're, they're proven winners as 50 over cricketers, but they are getting older. Uh, can they uh, string together four, five, six games on the trot? And if they can't, who will be their backup bowlers? Will we see some variation in this series? So... You know, will we see Sean Abbott get a chance, who's been exceptional whenever he's seemingly been given an opportunity to play for Australia or, or take the step up? I'd like to see Sean Abbott given a chance against England across the next three games, for example. So, yeah, it's mostly about how they can uh, how they can tweak this current side to make sure they have the right 11 uh, building towards the World Cup next year. It's all roads for India now. Now, Carlo, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you and where you're sitting tomorrow night. You're sitting next to the great man, Jared Waitley, and some of his commentary <laughs> has been elite, even going back to the first game where that is a shot of an emperor when Coley hits, hits the ball <laughs> down the ground. Uh, what's it like working with Jared? Uh, well, he's an exceptionally, well, he's brilliant, obviously. Uh, the way he has the command of the English language is second to none in our caper, so it's a great learning experience working with him. He's incredibly supportive for someone like myself who's been coming through with SEN over the last few years. He always gives me um, you know, plenty of opportunities to develop uh, with him and underneath him. And he's, I think his best quality is drawing uh, everything he can out of the summariser he's sitting next to. I think that you listen carefully to the way he, he works with those summarisers and those experts. And he, he makes sure that they become the star. He's almost deferential to uh, the people he's working with to ensure that he squeezes the sponge and, and they and they can tell their stories and they can give their insights. So brilliant facilitator. Um, there's no one better at calling the big moments. And, yeah, we're uh, privileged to have him leading the SEN team. Yes, we are. Yeah, spot on. He's one of the best, isn't he? Now, last one, Kyle. I just want to get your take on who wins tomorrow night. Uh, well, I think that England will likely be still in party mode uh, even now. I know that 11 of the squad who are here if you include a couple of the guys who are on the subs bench for the World Cup will be part of this side. And they've had every right to let their hair down since the final in Melbourne uh, late on Sunday night. So, uh, look, I, I would be surprised if Australia lost on that basis. Also, England are missing a number of their first-choice players because they're, they're over in Pakistan. So I know Ben Stokes has retired, but... Joe Root's not here, um, Harry Brooks not here, Liam Livingston's not here, Will Jacks isn't here. They're all uh, in the thinking for England's first choice 50 over team at the moment. And they're all uh, with the Test squad in Pakistan, Mark Wood as well. So um, they are, I wouldn't call them England B, but it's certainly not England's first pick side because of their um, scheduling conflicts. So all of that considered, even without um, someone like Len Maxwell, I'd be surprised if Australia didn't enjoy some success over the next week. Appreciate your time, Colo, and have a fantastic call tomorrow at the Adelaide Oval. A pleasure, guys. Have a nice show. Adam Collins there from the SEN cricket team. Uh, he chats well, doesn't he, Troy? He's he a good does. chat. Speaks very well. Knows a lot about cricket and uh, really enjoy his commentary on SEN cricket. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91